1: Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. And welcome to another edition of
2: Winning Ponies. Hope to be bringing you another good show, I'll give you some top winners. We nailed a big one last week uh, with uh, with Rich Ng. And uh, my guest handicapper at the bottom of the hour is going to be a man that uh, has been on winning ponies before and should be no stranger to you if you cover or watch the Triple Crown races and read the daily racing form uh Jay Privman he covers the Southern California circuit and in addition to all those national events, he's won the Red Smith Award for writing on six occasions. I don't think any other author has ever done that. So Jay Privman always has great insight into the sport. I want to ask him about some of the changes out there on the Southern California circuit. So uh, that should be fun and kind of get his year in review. Of course, we have uh, the Eclipse Awards uh, coming up here in uh, just a little over a week and uh, maybe he'll uh, show us his ballot, even. And then we're going to uh, meet someone you've probably uh, hardly ever heard of, but he's gone about success in a quiet manner, and that's going to be Rodney Prescott. Now, Rodney is a Midwestern jockey who just wrote his 3,000th Winner. Uh, which is quite a feat for any rider. And I want to learn a little bit about how Rodney got to that great milestone, his background, and his participation uh, in the Jockey's Guild. So uh, he's a mild-mannered man, but he's tough in the saddle. You have to be to win 3,000 races. So Jay Privman and Rodney Prescott will be with us today. And uh, good news on the horizon. I always like to start a show with that. Uh, the 2012 handle was up That's right. For the first time since 2006, a reverse in the trend, the handle was up. Now, it was only up 1%, okay, but, you know, I'm a glass-half-full kind of guy. Uh, It's still great to see that uh, it is uh, definitely going to be uh, headed in the right direction, let's say, and that it continues that way, and uh, we didn't fall off any fiscal cliff, and hopefully people have a little more jingles in their pocket to get out to the racetracks. Well, I... Spoke again, the Eclipse Awards. It looks like that uh, Fort Larned, I'll have another, and Wise Dan are going to be the finalist for Horse of the Year. I know who's going to get my vote, but I think I might uh, save that for when, when Jay's on the, uh, the show. Um, Let's take a look at there, there will be 272 eligible uh, vote, voters, and we'll take a look at some of the categories and find out uh, who uh, your favorites were, who you'd be voting if, if you had one. Again, the Horse of the Year finalist, Fort Larnard, I'll have another and wise Dan. Two-year-old Mal, Shanghai Bobby, I think he's a slam dunk, but also in there is Uncaptured and the very impressive Violence, but Shanghai Bobby, I believe, 5 for 5. Going to take that home. Uh, two-year-old female, uh, beholder, dreaming of Julia, and executive privilege. Now, three-year-old male, this one's going to be interested because I'll have another, of course, uh, had to uh, take a trip to Japan before he got to uh, round out the Triple Crown this year. Uh, the horse that did win the Belmont Union rags is up for three-year-old male, and a horse that chased them both around the track <laughs> Bodemeister, So those are the three for three-year-old male. Three-year-old female would be Believe You Can, The Oaks Winner, um, My Miss Oriella, and Questing, both who had outstanding seasons. Older male, all Fort Larned, Little Mike and Wise Dan. So we got some horses that could repeat in several categories there. Older female, this is going to be a tough one. You've got Groupie Doll and Royal Delta nominated, along with Include Me Out. As far as the quick guys, the male sprinter, the lumber guy, Shackelford, and Trinenberg. I'm going to give the edge to Trinenberg in there. Female sprinter, contested Groupie Doll, and Ms. Direction, who won another stake over the weekend. Then for Turf Male, some more names you've heard before, Little Mike, Point of Entry, and Wise Dan. Female, Marketing Mix, Tappets Fly and Zagora, Steeple Chase. I have to call the Clancy Brothers to see who they like, Demonstrative, Divine Fortune, and Pierre Lunaire. As far as the uh, owner category, we've got Godolphin Racing, Midwest Thoroughbreds, and the Paul Redham Racing. Breeders, Adina Springs has been there before, Darley, and Brereton Jones, the former governor of Kentucky. Trainers? No surprises here. Bob Baffert, Todd Pletcher, and Dale Romans. And as far as the jocks are concerned, names you hear about every weekend in the winter circle, Javier Castellano, Ramon Dominguez, and John Velasquez. Apprentice jockeys would be Jose Montana, Irad Ortiz Jr., and Angel Suarez. So hold on, folks. It's going to be very interesting. Again, that will be broadcast on HRTV, and you'll be able to get it over the Internet um we are going to start tomorrow with Oaklawn Park and things are headed in the right direction now Oaklawn Park they are in a bit of an island in themselves so the fact that uh, they've got money that comes out of what was originally just a uh, instant racing now they have a uh, 900 player casino area at the track um that also features video poker and electronic blackjack but uh the money that they have gotten from that will contribute to about half of the daily purses, which this year are gonna be three hundred and fifty thousand a day. So I would say if you're looking for a good track to handicap, you want to be looking at Oaklawn Park this season. Obviously it's gonna bring out some big fields and some big people. Uh that money has lured uh Dale Romans, who again is an Eclipse Award finalist, Al Stahl Jr. Owen Hardy, uh, these guys that will be there for the first time. And then uh, jockeys that usually ride in some different places uh, will be there. Robbie Alvarado, Rosemary Holmeister, uh, and Victor LeBron. Of course, they're going to have to take on Cliff Berry because he's won the last two riding titles there. Uh, It's going to be an an excellent meet and Owner Charles Sella has always been a class act. He has strengthened the powerful program for three-year-olds with uh, the one hundred fifty thousand dollars Smarty Jones and the Grade Three Southwest Stakes. Uh, they've been increased by fifty thousand. The Grade Two Rebel received a hundred thousand dollar bump for its St. Patrick's Day running, so that's now worth six hundred thousand dollars. And that uh, three-year-old series is going to have a lot of points in the new Kentucky Derby system. Uh, the Arkansas Derby is worth a hundred points to the winner. The Rebel fifty, Smarty Jones and Southwest ten. So since it uh, pays uh, for across the board, there's a total of two hundred and eighty-nine Derby points hanging out there at Oaklawn Park. Now, somebody that we were hoping to watch ride tomorrow and get his five thousandth milestone would be Calvin Burrell. Sad to say, that's not going to happen. He was going to have five mounts tomorrow. Uh, looks like uh, he went out, he worked some horses, and uh, got home. His arm blew up. Right now, it um, he's, in, he's in a cast, and it looks like he broke a small bone in his wrist, and looks like he'll be out for uh, several weeks. So we all wish uh, Calvin Burrell the best of luck, uh, just a, a class act and one hard-working guy. And, of course, he certainly has had his moment in the, the sun. Well, uh, last week we opened the show with a story about Gary Stevens and, and his comeback, and uh, he just missed – on Sunday, he finished third aboard Jabrika. He had the lead turning for home, but just couldn't hold it off, and he finished only a neck and a nose behind behind the uh, two horses that uh, that finished in front of him. So um, it'll be very interesting to see uh, how Gary handles the comeback. He says he's going to be selective, but he's a class act. He'll be fun to watch. Uh, we were talking about the, the Eclipse Awards earlier, and there is a, an annual Eclipse Award. Of merit, and that's going to go to Nick Nicholson, a guy that just did an outstanding job while he was at the helm of Keeneland. Uh, Prior to Keeneland, he was the vice president and executive director of the Jockey Club, and he really did, uh, you know, for a track that you don't have to do much that'll draw people, he brought a lot of innovative. Uh, promotions to uh, to Keelan, and he certainly deserves the award of merit. Another uh, equine horse that should get an award of merit is Painter. Uh, you know, he had that life-threatening illness. Well, last Saturday, he took to the track for trainer Bob Baffert. Uh, Painter, of course, was hospitalized uh, on clinics up and down the East Coast, and it's so great that they decided that he bounced back just fine after saving off the laminitis, and he has returned to training. And uh, as Baffert said, it's been an amazing journey, but he is a tough horse. Well, we talked about the Kentucky Derby point system, and as we close out the night 2012 and open up 2013, right now, Doug O'Neill, that's right, you remember him winning the Derby last year, with I'll Have Another, and the Preakness. Uh, Golden Sense is in his stable, uh, currently leads all of the three-year-old boys. Uh, in order behind him is Shanghai Bobby, uh, Violence, Joha, and overanalyze. Of course, all of that is set to change, and uh, we'll see what happens. We just heard about the lucrative uh, Oak Lawn Point system. Certainly uh, the West Coast and the East Coast uh, ha- have a slew of points to be given out to these three-year-olds. Uh, the Kentucky Oaks is based on the same system, and uh, leading that is executive privilege. And then uh, Bernie Flint's Sonine Girl, Dreaming of Julia, Cowie Katie, and beholder. So we'll see if, if some of them will, uh, be showing up the day before and the first Saturday of May. Now Doug O'Neill, uh, feels that Golden Sense is, uh, going to be, uh, solid enough to, to get in the Derby and he's gonna try to keep him away from his other horses because Doug O'Neill, after, uh, last season, is getting horses left and right, and they are nice ones. So I guess he's going to – he says he's only going to get one or two preps before the Kentucky Derby for Golden Sense. and uh, But he's also got a Vare. He's had enough in the recently purchased mud Flat. So he's going to try to, to keep them away from each other. Uh, particularly uh, uh, Golden Sense is going to be getting a lot of attention because one of his owners is Rick Pitino, coach of the University of Louisville. So it looks like uh, – uh, He'll take. Uh, he's had enough. Who was the runner-up in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, and he's probably going to go in the Robert Lewis. Avare is being pointed for the one hundred and fifty thousand dollars Smarty Jones. Uh, that again at Oaklawn Park. He's not sure where Mudflats is going to go. Uh, you know, he kept him on the East Coast, did not bring him back to his own training center. And he, after chasing the pace in the Jerome Stakes, he kind of petered out and ended up finishing seventh. So, uh, what's happening now is at that time where you start looking at. Uh, uh, odds and early derby odds, and uh, kind of interesting right now. The, the derby favorite at 12 to 1 is Violence, who's undefeated and trained by Todd Pletcher. Uh, even though he probably won't win the Eclipse Award as a leading two year old, uh, that most probably will go to Shanghai Bobby, who's at 18 to 1 right now. And uh, the second choice between Violence Shanghai and Shanghai Bobby is uncaptured. Uh, his record is 6 for 7. Don't forget he won the jockey club at Churchill Downs and that never hurts to have a couple wins over the Churchill Downs strip. So, he's at 14 to 1. Those are early derby odds. In uh breeding news, uh Ten Most Wanted, the 2003 Travers winner died in Panama. Uh he he won the Travers Stakes uh from uh Six crops of, of racing. His horses have earned over $3.2 million. Before going to Panama, he stood out in California. Another horse that will be going to stud is Hightail. Um, the Breeders' Cup juvenile sprint winner Hightail has been retired after sustaining an injury at a training session at Oaklawn Park. Uh, D. Wayne Lucas said he fractured a sesamoid. He's going to rehab at Calumet Farm because his owner, Brad Kelly, now owns that farm, and uh, no announcement has been made as far as um, what he'll be standing for. Odds are he'll be standing there. Let's take a a look at the races we handicapped last week. There were some good ones. Again, the three-year-olds are out and racing, and we'll start with the West Coast, and that would be the Sham Stakes, and that was Golden Sense. He was in a little tight early, uh, but he came on as a, as a heavy favorite and uh, won under Kevin Kriger, who's been his rider in all three of his victories. His only second-place finish was in the Champagne to Shanghai Bobby. That is no disgrace. Uh, finishing second was Den's Legacy, and uh, in the third spot, was Manando, so the, the, the three-year-olds are off and running. Now, they were at the Jerome in New York, but surprisingly, in the Jerome, there were no... Uh, points assigned for the Kentucky Derby. Uh, Some people say perhaps it's because uh, there was a a schedule change and it wasn't set in stone as to where this race or when this race was going to be run. It was run at Aqueduct at a mile and 70 yards. The winner, well, I liked this horse last week on Winning Ponies. It was Vi Jack horse that came in for the best buyer. It was his first test around two turns, and let me tell you, he was tested through the stretch. It turned into a two-horse race. Coming up on the inside at 41 to 1 was Siete Oros. Now, trainer Ramon Presidio put blinkers on this son of AP Warrior and he shot up the inside and looked like he was going raped right by Vijack, but I will say Cornelio Velasquez put in a fantastic ride and, uh, got up by the slimmest of noses. He was probably behind by a neck with about 50 yards to go, but uh, Vijack is going to be one to watch. I'm sure his next uh, start will be one that's going to earn him some, uh, some points to get into the Kentucky Derby. Then we looked at the San Pasquale, a grade two at Santa Anita, and in here it was Coyle. And uh, Jay Privman may have something to say about this race. Just a fantastic race. Turned out to be a two-horse race. Uh, Ultimate Eagle, uh, who was just a slight second choice, had all the speed, had all the control, uh, was being rated perfectly. But Coyle, in the final 16th of a mile, unsprung himself under Martin Garcia and came home in just a beautiful ride. Got up by a head, paying 5 60 to win. And then... Uh, The final race that we handicapped, my hat's off to Rich Ng. Rich pulled a horse out of here that hadn't run since May 12th, and that was the Kentucky Oaks, but he believed that Michael Matz certainly didn't uh, go down to Gulfstream Park and enter a horse that wasn't fit and ready to roll. And hard not to like was the name of the horse. The payoff, $17.60 to win. Thank you much. Mr. Ng. Channel Lady had the lead. She ended up running second and finishing third was leading astray. So that was a look at the races that we handicapped on Winning Ponies last week. Right now we're gonna take a little break and when we come back we're gonna to talk to Mr Three Thousand, Rodney Prescott. You're listening to Winning Ponies.
0: and out hundred dollar
1: bills and it kills and it thrills Your internet flagship station for sports
2: Voice America Sports And they're off!
1: What? Can't make it to the track?
0: the Voice America Sports Network. Here, 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 here. The opening kickoff is a beauty. It's a 5 ball deep right tail. That goes O'Neill. He's at the shot. Got it. With two point eight seconds left. <laughs> I don't care where they put him. This one is out
1: of here. From high school to the pros, we, we cover, everything. cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports.
2: Is a gentleman I've known since he was an apprentice rider at uh, little old River Downs in Cincinnati. His name is Rodney Prescott, and he's been in the news a little bit lately for a couple of very good things. Uh, number one, he wrote his winner number 3,000, an amazing plateau for any rider uh, that can stick it out uh, through the years. Uh, Rodney right now is uh, 38 years old. He's a native of Portland, Indiana, and uh, he has also been nominated for the National George Wolf Award, uh, along with uh, Javier Castellano, Perry Compton, David Flores, and, and Mario Pino. It's, it's quite an, an honor and quite a great group to be with. Uh, I've gotten to know Rodney over the years. He's a soft-spoken guy, but he sure rides hard. Uh, he's a great family man, um, and uh, I just want to introduce uh, the rest of the world uh, to Rodney Prescott. Rodney, how are you, my friend?
3: I'm doing good. Thank you, John. How are you?
2: I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. Well, you know, since you're not a name that's in the news a lot, you've got to tell us about you. Uh, first of all, let's start off with, uh, describe your childhood. Uh, what's Portland, Indiana, and did you grow up on a farm, or you tell us?
3: Yeah, I, uh, I grew up on a dairy farm. Uh, we milked, uh, milked cows and, uh, you know, raised corn and beans and bailed hay. And, uh, <laughs> we, we had, uh, a few horses and, and, uh, the horses were just our recreation. You know, we didn't really show them or, you know, they wouldn't, wouldn't race horses or anything. They were just old riding horses and we always had anywhere from I don't know, two to about ten, I, I suppose, and, and uh, you know, that, that's how I spent my, my spare time was uh, riding horses, you know. I grew up, I guess, before video games and all that, so. Thank God. And uh, we <laughs> we didn't have cable TV or anything, so the, the horses were our pretty much main recreation, you know, we lived on a gravel road, and middle of nowhere, kind of, so. So that's what we did for fun and and uh this is kind of where it's where it's brought me.
2: Well, you know, obviously growing up on a dairy farm there's a lot of work to be done. When you were in high school, did you uh compete in any athletics or was it right back home to to work on the farm?
3: I did uh I was allowed one sport a year. I, I wrestled from 8th grade through uh through high school. And uh it Kind of had to be wrestling because that was the winter, and you know we, we wasn't as busy in the winter, winter times we were in the spring or fall. So, so that was uh that was the only sport I played in high school.
2: Or- well, you, so, you wouldn't be uh, the, the first jock to come into to riding by wrestling. There was a a guy by the name of Pat Day that kind of uh, was a state champion wrestler that went on to be a pretty good rider himself.
3: Yep. <laughs> yeah, there's been quite a few riders that were wrestlers. So. No, well, it was a big difference between barrel uh, uh, racing and point. chariot racing
2: and things like that. Uh, yeah, how did you get uh, on the on the track?
3: Um, I got I I one uh, spring, Indiana has a uh, thing called the Hoosier Horse Fair at uh, the Indianapolis Fairgrounds, and I started talking to. They had a booth set up promoting quarter horse racing in Indiana and this was before paramutual racing in Indiana of course so I uh-huh. started talking to a jockey there by the name of Carter Riley and you know I asked him you know what do you got to do to be a jockey and he more or less told me you got to start out galloping horses and I said well if you're serious about it you know here's my number give me a call and, and I did and I started going with him he rode at a little track in Illinois called Pit Run Park he went they ran I don't know, every other weekend throughout the summer, so I started going there with him, and he got me a job on a farm galloping horses, and I went from there. That winter, I, I started galloping horses at uh, Turfway Park and went the river to river Downs that next summer. and The following summer, I started riding. Well, uh,
2: was there anybody during your, your early years that uh, kind of uh, had, a, had an influence on you in the jocks room? Yeah, there
3: was there was quite a quite a few. You know, uh, um, I guess I I approached it that you can learn a little something from everybody. But uh, I guess you know Steve Neff uh, really helped me out. I mean, he was a rider that won. Gosh, I don't know. He he won almost four thousand races, I think, in his career. But yeah, uh, and
2: many riding titles.
3: Many, many yes. But uh, I mean, that's you know just one. But he helped me out a lot and. Along with a few riders that are retired now, I know, uh, Mark Chavez, uh, him and I roomed together for a while and Alex Berzer and I did and, and, uh, Michael Trotter, he was riding then and he helped me out a lot and he's my valet now at Turfway and, and River when I go there, so, uh, but uh, there was quite a few. Brent Bartram and uh, Dean coots they helped me, both
2: helped me out a lot, too. Well, you know, you remind me a lot of a guy that's won 6,000 races, and and that's Perry Utes, and I'll tell you in what ways. Uh, One is when you look at your record, I mean, in in addition to your 3,000 wins, you've got almost 3,000 seconds and 3,000 thirds. And when you look at his record, it's very similar. So when somebody gives you a leg up on the horse, you you're trying all the way out you understand that even a second or third uh could be a hay bill for these guys or, or a vet bill and i always admire how hard you finish on a horse
3: exactly you know i mean that means it it is between let's say fourth and second to me in a cheap race is there's not much difference ten dollars or something but for the owner it is a lot more and uh this business keeps getting tougher and tougher every year, so, so every little bit helps.
2: I well, the other thing that, that reminds me a little
3: about, like, uh,
2: Perry, is the fact that, uh, you're, you're a great guy that likes to be near home. You don't go too far. It's kind of the, uh, Indiana, Ohio, Kentucky circuit, and I'd say most nights you probably sleep in your own bed, even though you travel a lot.
3: Yeah, I do. Um, um, I'm out at uh, Hoosier Park I, I rent an apartment up there that's three hours away from home and I come back on the dark days but uh, like Indiana Downs that's a two hour drive and I make that drive every day you know just to be home so yeah it means a lot to me being being home at night and and uh, starting my day from home you know that that, uh, that means a whole lot to me well it, it, it's obvious I mean you're you're Uh, You're you're a very humble guy.
2: Now, this a lot of people don't know that you you came up under a very similar way uh, of a rider that we all admire, and that's that you you came up uh, with uh, uh, Roger and Barb Holbrook. We won't go into their story, but so did Rodney Dickens. And um, I, I know that you received, as a young man, the Rodney Dickens Award, which is not for the leading apprentice. It's for the person who just shows outstanding horsemanship, uh, respect to other riders, uh, that, that willingness to learn, a willingness to try hard, and that is voted upon by your uh, peers. Uh, now you've taken it to a whole other level. Uh, what does it mean to, to you uh, getting nominated for the George Wolfe Memorial Award along Javier Castellano, Perry Compton, David Flores, and, and Mario Pino? I mean... Uh that's a whole other spotlight for uh, Rodney Prescott. Uh
3: yeah, it's a it's a great honor. I mean, it, uh there's some good writers there and good guys. I mean, uh David Flores, Perry Compton. Uh I've known those two for for quite a while and uh, I've kind of looked up to them myself and uh, and uh I know Xavier Castellano who's a heck of a nice guy, and Mario Piano, and uh and the the list of previous nominees and winners you know is a Oof. pretty extensive uh, yeah. list, uh, list of list of riders and, and uh yeah it's a, it's a great honor you know i mean it, i don't know uh how else to put it but uh, you know i don't uh just being nominated is is a, is uh, something to be proud of so.
2: Well, all I know is that uh, you, you, your family and all your fellow riders are, you know, extremely proud of your, your recent accomplishment uh, of 3,000. I know that, uh, once again, you've been uh, put on the governing board uh, of the Jockeys Guild. That certainly <clears throat> also says something about that other people recognize the qualities that go into the jockey, Rodney Prescott. Thank you, yeah. Uh... <laughs> You're just too modest, Rodney. Well, Thanks for uh, spending this time. I I wanted our audience to kind of get to know you a little bit because uh, while your name's not in the headlines of the Daily Racing Forum every day, uh, your name certainly is held in high esteem by uh, the the fans of racing in the Midwest and, and certainly your peers.
3: Thanks, Don. I appreciate
2: that. All right, Rodney. We'll see you at the races. Coming up next at the races, we're going to be uh, taking a look in the rearview mirror of 2012, maybe a view towards what's going on in racing in uh, 2013. And then we're going to handicap three races on the West Coast with the guru of West Coast handicapping and writing, 1J Prisman. We'll be right back. You're listening to Winning Ponies.
1: your internet flagship station for sports voice america sports
0: every wednesday you'll want to talk sports with touchdown tony collins and his co-host bill Mattis. tony's broken records and has been to the pro bowl and the super bowl we'll talk about what's happening in sports every week with news action and notable guests from all aspects of the sports world We'll also involve you by discussing questions and topics of interest sent in via email from listeners all over the world. Become what you believe. Tune in to Sports Talk with Touchdown Tony Collins, Wednesdays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Sports.
1: And they're off! What? Can't make it to the track? Sports.
2: All right, I'm not going to spend too much time recording all his accolades because I want to talk to him in person, but uh, if you read the Daily Racing Forum, you get to read the columns by Jay Privman, who... Uh primarily covers the Southern California circuit. Boy, well, that's a tough run, doesn't have the tracks uh, north of the border. And, uh, of course, he's the author of a great colorful book called uh, The Breeders' Cup Thoroughbred Racing's Championship Day. Um, he's a contributor to one of my favorite books that you can pick up anytime called Champions and go to whatever decade you want and, uh, and see about all the great racehorses through history. And uh, he's got to be the all-time leader in the Red Smith Award for Best Kentucky Derby Story. Uh, he's won it six times. Uh, with us right now from Southern California, I believe, is Jay Privman. Jay, how
4: you doing? Good, John. How are you?
2: I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm hanging in there. You know, since I've got somebody that uh, is kind of specific to an area of the country, before we go on to maybe our year in review uh, through your eyes, I wanted to ask you just a brief question about three interesting individuals that I'm sure you're familiar with uh, from your reporting. Let me start with individual number one big story in the news this week what do you think about the Gary Stevens comeback
4: well you know Gary's a kind of person who's always set challenges for himself and I think he didn't feel as though he was able to complete his riding career because of the knee trouble he was having seven years ago and he's gone on and had a very successful career in broadcasting but I, th- I think we've seen this with you know with athletes and it's something that you know you or I would never really Be able to approximate, but I think the desire is always there, especially if you don't, if you're not able to walk away from it under your terms. And Mm -hmm. Gary was able to get fit and, uh, by going to Washington State and get back in shape. And he's got, he's obviously a very talented person and, uh, you know, he hasn't ridden competitively for seven years. So it's, it's except for one time in a, in a sort of a celebrity race, uh, about four years ago, but, uh, he looks in great shape, and uh, I, I I think he deserves a chance for all that he 's accomplished to be able to, to to have this chance to come back and we 'll see how it works out yeah well, I got to uh sit in on his uh, uh interview last week, and
2: number one, he says the knee's not a hundred percent it 's one hundred and twenty percent, and he described the the therapy and psychology that go went into the comeback um, but uh, he also said that in his years now as a racing analyst. He feels that he even looks at racing different and that that's going to give him an edge just because he's had the chance to step away from the sport and look at riding in a different fashion. I found that kind of interesting.
3: Yeah, I think
4: that's probably true, and I think there's no real substitute for experience, and I mean, that's one thing that he certainly brings to the table. I mean, he's seen every possible situation. He's won the Kentucky Derby three times. I mean, he's, you know, he's a great rider. I mean, he really is. It's just, to me, it's the hard thing is going to be kind of picking up after, uh, after being gone for so long. But I think he's at least realistic about not trying to overextend himself and uh, to pick his spots, and, and hopefully it'll work out for him and he'll be happy.
2: I'm sure he'll have no problem picking up clients when the time comes. We'll go from a great rider uh, to an obviously great trainer. Uh, last year we had the uh, Scare in Dubai with Bob Baffert, now, now you, you you've known him before and after. Have you seen any differences in Bob Baffert? Certainly, people are not not sending him horses.
4: <laughs> yeah, he still has plenty of business. I don't think that's uh, that's changed at all. Um, the only the, the thing I've noticed, John, is he he doesn't seem as on edge when it comes to winning or losing races, which might sound. Uh, inaccurate if you saw sort of the way he handled Rafael Bejarano in the aftermath of the Breeders' Cup. Uh, but I think that was an anomaly, just seeing him on a daily basis. He seems to let more things run off his back uh, than he did in the past. Now I don't know if that's just a temporary thing in the aftermath of the heart attack or if that's now going to be the way he's going to handle things going forward for the rest of his life. But at least to this point, that's the way, that's the biggest change I've noticed in him.
2: Okay, well, see, I know that you've had you've had a chance, uh, and you have great powers of, of observation. Now, to another guy who's come out of the West Coast and and has had a rise to Baffert like levels, uh, is Doug O'Neill. Nobody really, on a national basis, knew much about uh, Doug O'Neill before. I'll have another. Um, I think he he handled the whole. Uh, Situation of retirement uh, with with class. Uh, of course, there were also many fingers pointed at him about uh, different aspects of, of his training style. He, he he seems to be somebody that's let it run off the back. What what's what's Doug O'Neill like? Have you watched his de- development uh, from a younger trainer to where he is now?
4: Well, sure. I mean, he's been a fairly prominent trainer out here for a long time, and I mean, he, he's had horses of national success. I mean, he won a Breeders' Cup race with Stevie Wonder Boy at Belmont Park, and yeah, Lava Man, who was certainly uh, uh, an accomplished, nationally known horse, so it wasn't like this was his first rodeo, and he'd had a couple of Derby horses before. Obviously, not a Derby winner, or a horse that came within uh, 24 hours of, of, of competing in for a run for the Triple Crown, but uh, he, he's had plenty of experience in these situations before. And I think you're right. I think he handled the, what was, uh, you know, what was coming as as best he could. But he, you know, he needed to answer for it. I mean. He, he has been uh, he has had medication violations, not to the level that I think some things have been reported. I mean there have been medication violations and those are need to be answered for. Uh, I think you know when you get a a violation for a parking ticket or something like that, and somebody tries to, or, or an overage of a, medica- of a legal medication, that's different than being cited for an illegal medication.
2: Right. Uh, but, I really think things were, uh, you know, just blown out of proportion, but it was because he was thrust into that spotlight. And, of course, you know that some of the East Coast media had an ax to grind anyhow.
4: I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if some of the East Coast media, maybe there was one publication in particular that seemed to, uh, Want to distort the truth more than report things accurately. And the thing is, I think you can have a very fair, sober, rational discussion about medication and about Doug O'Neill without, uh, you know, bringing in a personal bias to it. Uh, it, it's, it's a legitimate subject for discussion, uh, but, but it needs, in my opinion, to be done fairly. And I think if you do it fairly, there's definitely pluses and minuses to his career.
2: Well, I was just wondering what your read was because you've been out there with him. And again, it's not like he was a nobody that rose to prominence, but really, uh, there's no way he got the, the ink in the past that he got over with this past year. And certainly right now, it looks like he's got a nice handful of, uh, three-year-olds that, uh, he's trying to separate coming into the
4: Derby. Certainly, with Golden Sense being at the, probably at the top of the list right now after his win in the stake race last weekend in the, in the sham. So at least he knows. What he's in for if this horse turns out to be as good as uh, I'll have another. I don't know that he will. I don't. Mean, I don't know if the horse will turn out to be as good as I'll have another. But I think at least Doug, having been down this road before, certainly will know what to expect. I do think he, even going back to what your original point was, John. I, I do think he handled things as best he could. He he owned up to that. You know, he had had violations in the past. He said he. Hope that he had learned from it. Uh, and you know his record's been very, very good over the last couple of years, since, since he had a, a situation at Del Mar in the summer of 2010 that was what was lingering into last year and that was being brought up so often because for the, uh, the milkshake violation. So uh, hopefully whatever transgressions he's made in the past, he's, he's learned from and, and he's going to be smarter and, and, and a better representative for the sport all
2: right, well, we're talking to Jay Pribman from the Daily Racing Forum, and I'm
4: reading his headline from, I believe, last Friday.
2: Eclipse Awards, Port Larned, I'll Have Another, Wise Dan, Horse of the Year finalist. You know, uh, we didn't know who was going to be around at the end of the year, the way so many horses were being put on the shelf during mid-season. But it turned out to be a pretty interesting season, and certainly you, you can make a case for all three of these horses for Horse of the Year.
4: They all had very good years. It sort of just depends on what your perspective And there were a couple others who, I mean, those are just the top three vote getters. There certainly, I'm sure, were more horses who got votes for Horse of the Year, but the way the Eclipse Awards do it is they just announce who the top three are, and they're considered the finalists. But, I'm, you know, I'm sure horses like Royal Delta and Little Mike and, and maybe even Groupie Doll uh, all received some Horse of the Year votes, but the top three, as you mentioned, were Fort Lauderdale. Uh, Wise Dan and, uh, I'm having a, I just drew a blank, I'll have another. (laughs) Right. So, I mean, uh, and I think Wise Dan will win just reading the tea leaves of the the journalists and people who have written as to who they're voting for. It seems like more often than not the sentiment is is toward him, so I I expect him to, to win. Well, I
2: liked in your article, Jay, uh,
4: you pointing out the
2: little engine that could, and that's uh, your words were the glaring omission from that list is Little Mike, the Breeders' Cup winner, who's a rival with Wise Dan for, for, for two divisions, and a horse that also, I think, won a little race up in Chicago this year.
4: Right, he won the Arlington Million, he won the the Breeders' Cup Turf, he won the the big race at Churchill Downs uh, on on Derby Day. I mean, he had a a, a terrific campaign, and the reason I I said in the story that I was surprised he wasn't one of the three finalists is because it seems to me that for Turf Horse, most people felt that he he and Wise Dan were the obvious top two, and in some cases people were having trouble separating them for male Turf Horse in that category. He also received enough support to be a finalist for just champion older horse, even though he never ran on dirt which to me showed significant support for him. So the fact that he had so much support for turf horse and so much support for older male but wasn't a finalist, a top three horse for horse of the year, that to me was surprising, given the evidence of what happened with male turf and older horse.
2: it'll be very interesting to see where this shakes out, because so many of these horses are eligible uh, for different divisions. I'm sure that uh, after the envelopes are opened at the awards on the 19th, uh, there's going to be plenty of guys like you hitting the keyboards, uh, because you're going to have some things to talk about.
4: Oh, there always is. I mean, there's going to be plenty of... Uh, there'll be, I'm sure, some surprises, but you know, there's a lot of them that are slam dunks. I mean, Groupie Doll's obviously a slam dunk for Philly Sprinter, Royal Delta for older female. Al, I'll have another for three-year-old male. There's a lot that are that are going to be slam dunks, but there's going to be ones that I think uh, people are going to be on the edge of their seat over, and that's always what makes the evening so exciting.
2: Well, I w- was reading uh, a column by another daily racing form writer that I respect very much, uh, Mike Watchmaker, and he was kind of given his uh, bit of a, his read on the point system for the Kentucky Derby. Uh, I watched the Jerome Stakes grade two race at Aqueduct uh, over the weekend, and Vijack and Siete Oros just put in a bang up race. Uh, first time going around two turns for Vijack. Uh, I just think it's a shame that the uh, they're not going to get any points for that effort, and they're going to have to, to go shopping. Uh, just taking a step back, what's your overall view of uh, the, the, the point system?
4: Well, I, I, I think it's a step in the right direction. I don't think they got it completely right, but I do think there are some things they've been rightly criticized for. Uh, I, I don't think they gave enough weight to the two, some of the two-year-old races, especially a race like the Breeders' Cup Juvenile or the Cash Call Futurity. Th- those should probably be worth more points. And obviously the last couple round of races are really worth a lot of points, so I mean it, it puts a lot of a, a premium on running well in those races, uh, and so that, that part of it I think is gonna be very exciting but nerve wracking to see who ends up getting into the Derby based on those races. But there are, and, and I think that there's been a, a focus on that. Uh, in terms of just the fact that there's been change, it, it drives people nuts to have something done the same way for 25 years. But there's some things about the earnings criteria that I didn't like, and that I think they've properly addressed. Uh, specifically, the races that now count for points are all at a mile or farther, so you can't back into the race just by running in, in just by running a million dollar spread.
3: Race.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Hello yeah Jay. yeah, just by running in graded sprint races, uh, and also John, you know, Phillies used to be able to get in by running in graded races for Phillies only, and I thought that was wrong uh, that 's a restricted race, a race for Phillies only, and now Phillies can still run in the Derby, but they have to earn their way by running against all comers in prep races, and I think that 's fair, uh, so those are a couple things that, that have that are changes that I think are are, are good changes, and i don 't think Churchill Downs is going to just sit on what they've done this year. I think they'll, they'll, they'll tweak those things that they realize need to be tweaked. And I, I think they'll, it'll be a better system within like two or three years. I, I, and I do think it was a good move overall.
2: Well, that's great. I wanted to get your input on that. Well, before uh, my producer taps on the window and says, hey, you've only got a minute left, I want to get your input on three West Coast races today. We'll, we'll start with the race up the road a little bit. Golden Gate Fields, uh, it is a derby, so it's going to be for three-year-olds, this one going a mile and a sixteenth. I don't believe there are, you're going to get any points, uh, but there's still a 100,000 up for grabs, and it, obviously some of these horses are, are already on the ground. It's... Uh, Looks like a replay of, of the, the $75,000 uh, gold rush. I just wonder what your read was on this race.
4: Yeah, it's not much of a race. And, and, and like you said, John, the fact that it doesn't uh, count in terms of points towards the Kentucky Derby, I think is the main reason why you're getting kind of the B and C level horses in there. And it looks to me like Zwat for Jerry Hollendorfer kind of lays over the field, but it's it's a pretty weak group, and I don't think you're going to see anybody coming out of there and being one of the 20 in the Derby field uh, in, in three and a half months.
2: Well, no, I think you're going to have to uh, definitely uh, key that horse on top. I noticed that uh, Jerry added blinkers on the horse, and I, really, I, I think that helped keep the horse focused, and certainly had enough left to get that extra 16th, or w- will have enough left to get the extra 16th of a mile at Golden Gate. But nonetheless, a lot of our listeners will still be playing that track, and uh, you and I both agree that uh, Z-Watt is probably the one to beat in there. Now, we'll, we'll take a race on Saturday at, at Santa Anita. We talk about Bob Baffert not losing any business. He only has four horses now, <laughs> entered in the uh, the Grade Two San Fernando at a mile and a 16th. I'll be honest with you. I, I would chewed on this race for a while, and it is hard to figure. And what I found very interesting is almost 80% of the jockeys are riding a different horse in this race.
4: <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. I mean, it, it does make it challenging. You know, the, as you mentioned, Baffert has four of the horses in here, but, you know, none of them are really coming into the race in, in what looks like peak form. And because uh, he tends to uh, get, attract a lot of money because of all his success over the years, a lot of times his horses are underlaid in relation to their chances. And, you know, there might be an opportunity here to maybe pick up an, an up and coming horse who might be able to pull off a mild upset. You were talking about Hollendorfer in the race up north. I actually like his horse here, uh, Tribal Jewel, uh, this is going to be a big step up for him. He's not run in a great at stake before, but he's shown a lot of uh, promise in uh, winning two of his last three starts, ran the best race of his life last time at Santa Anita when significantly adding blinkers. And I just think he's catching some horses here like Fed Biz and Handsome Mike, uh, who Just might not be all that they're cracked up to be right now. They they might their best four might be well in the rearview mirror. So I'm I'm gonna take Tribal Jewel in here, John.
2: Um, Since you're out there, I want to know if you had any insight into the career of the the one horse uh, battle force who's trained by John Sheriffs. this horse uh, is now a four-year-old. It was a January fall, so it had uh, a room to grow as a young horse, uh, but it's only made five career lifetime starts. Is, is there a story behind this horse? It looks like he's always knocking on the door but just can't get in.
4: Well, he had a, a long way off. He, he ran three times at two, and then he was off for nearly a year until having his comeback uh, in, in mid-November, and he had a nice prep there. and I, I really liked him last time going into the Sir Beaufort. And he ran a good race, but he was just second best on the day to, to Salentio And I asked John, actually, I wrote the preview story for the paper on the Sir Beaufort, and so I wanted to know why Battle Force had been off. And he said he really didn't have a, a serious problem. He said he was in need of a good long rest after his two-year-old campaign, and it just took them a while to get him back in shape. But it wasn't like he ever had a fracture or anything like that that, that kept him sidelined. So he was off a lot longer than I think you would have expected him to be. And I, I thought his race last time in the Sir Beaufort was good. I'm just... Don't know if he's going to be as good on the main track as he has been on, on grass. I mean, the only time he ran on something other than grass was a race that got washed off the turf onto the main track at at Betfair Hollywood Park, and he ran a good race in that. But I'm I still think he might be better on grass than on than on dirt.
2: Well, I, I just wanted to get your insight on that horse because I, I didn't know if there was an injury related, but I guess uh, you know uh, John Sheriff's not a guy as we've learned over the years to to push a horse any faster than than it has to go in its training regimen. Uh, let's go on now to uh, to Sunday, uh, a race for four-year-olds, uh, the San Gabriel. It'll be a mile and an eighth on the turf, and uh, kind of interesting going back and looking at the careers of these horses. Of the seven horses in this race, five of them competed in three different Breeders'
4: Cup races. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, you've got, uh, what,
2: of Champion and the breeder Geronimo
4: Cup and, sprint, uh, the Juniper, Juniper Beth, and,
2: uh, the Boucher. Breeders Cup Marathon, and uh, then the Breeders Cup Turf was Slim Shady, and uh, the Sprint again with Chosen Miracle, and the the Mile with uh Geronimo.
4: It's right, Tail of a <laughs> Champion, ran a draft sprint also. So yeah, they're they're coming from all different directions, meeting at a mile and an eighth race, and this is this is another race where I think a lot of these horses have kind of seen better days, and I was really looking for kind of an up-and-comer to, to knock them off here, and I just didn't see anybody that I really felt comfortable with at the distance uh, as one of the newcomers, so I kind of circled back to two of the old pros in here. I, I think it's kind of a toss-up between Geronimo and Slim Shady, John, and uh, you know, I've always kind of liked Geronimo. I think he's been an overachiever, but... He's always done, I think, his better racing at Betfair Hollywood Park, and the fact that he didn't run quite as well last time at the site, in the citation concerns me. But I just don't see better options in here other than maybe Slim Shady, uh, who I think is back at a distance that's a little more uh, sensible for him. I think the mile-and-a-half last time was kind of beyond, uh, the last couple of times he's run was beyond his best range. And I think back at uh, a mile-and-an-eighth, I think you'll see a better Effort from him, so I, I like those two, and it's really hard for me to to pick between the two of them, and and I don't really have a lot of confidence in either of them. Unlike on Saturday, when I kind of like the gamble on Tribal Jewel. Well, I you
2: know again those two horses. Like you looked over my shoulders, I, I just looked at this field, and all of a sudden I realized these are the two. Uh, I mean, Slim Shady and Geronimo. They're both kind of horses for courses, and surprisingly, with these horses that are slightly older, Geronimo is the only horse that's won at a mile and an eighth. (laughs) How about that? You know it 's kind of like you would think by the time some of these horses i mean uh, juniper passes a six year old somewhere along the line uh, while earning three hundred and seventy thousand. He might have uh, tried the nine furlongs, but but never did well, Jay, I got about uh, uh, t- two minutes uh, uh, left with you, and I just kind of wanted to wonder from what you see on the West coast, do you see any rising stars that uh, racing should keep an eye out for, let's say in the Jockeys colony
4: uh Boy, I mean, Edwin Maldonado, obviously, is, is probably a name that nationally people aren't familiar with, but he had a terrific season at Betfair Hollywood Park, winning the riding title there, and so I, he's probably, of, of the up-and-comers, he'd be the the most obvious one, I think to mention most of the other guys out here who I consider the elite riders, I think are people everybody's heard of, like Garrett Gomez and Rafael Bejarano and Joe Talamo and, you know, Leperu's out here now and Gary Stevens has come back. But those are all, I think, pretty established names. Uh, Jay Privman,
2: I want to thank him so much for taking time out of his schedule to be with us. And uh, hats off to Rodney Prescott with his win number 3000. Hope we put you on some winners. Have a great time. This is John Engelhart for Winning Ponies. Remember, when you go to the races, bet with your head, not over it.
1: Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Network.